So, did any of you guess that my favorite band is the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Because if you did, you get a prize. And that's this next episode on memories. I forgot the word, but here we go. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're going to do our first quickie episode. Uh, this episode's going to be on false memories and how they're playing a role in this Maxwell trial, or how they will play a role in this Maxwell trial. So I find this topic super interesting, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to keep it a quickie, but um, we'll see what happens. So basically, what this theory of false memories is is that just because somebody remembers something doesn't mean it's actually true. I read a couple articles, and I'll link them in the show notes, but before I get into the the real meat and potatoes here, I just want to point out a couple of things that I found interesting. So a scientist from the University of Amsterdam who has done a lot of work on uh, this false memories theory did a study that talked about the nature of probing for an answer or a memory. And according to this expert, leading questions often leads to incorrect answers. Basically, what they were saying is that you're better off letting the person tell their story themselves and maybe only interjecting to say, like, and then what happened? Or tell me more about that. And, you know, this kind of made me think about this in the context of police interrogations and specifically like I said guys I'm a big true crime fan so if any of you haven't seen Making a Murder you should definitely see it but it made me think about that and more specifically Brandon Dassey if you did see that I think you probably agree that he was clearly led by detectives to provide a false confession and honestly it made me think that maybe he even was creating a false memory from the leading questions he was being asked by those detectives. He was saying things that, you know, I, I, I remember one instance they said, and, and what happened to her head? What was wrong with her head? They were trying to get him to say that, I think they were trying to get him to say that sh- they shot her, something like that. And he's like, he literally says like they cut her hair. I mean, yeah, that's not exactly the answer they were looking for. But again, they continued to ask leading questions until they got what they wanted. So, you know, I can see how this can be a risk and how it can be dangerous in our criminal justice system. Um, and I, I think it was an important study. But now I want to turn to this expert, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus. She's like the leading expert, world-renowned, world-renowned expert uh, in this field of false memories. She's a cognitive psychologist, and she's been around the block. She's been here for, I want to say it was three decades she's been doing this research. And I'm not trying to discredit her because some of her work is extremely, extremely important to the legal world. And we're going to talk about that first before I get into what I don't agree with. So like I said, she's a cognitive psychologist, and for decades she's been studying the malleability of human memory. And so basically she's studying how human memory can be molded and changed over time. 
Um, you know, I, I also just want to point out, she is somewhat of a professional expert witness. And from what I read, she's really only helped out on the defense side of cases. But she's also specifically been a defense expert for some pretty high-profile sex abuse uh, defendants, including Harvey Weinstein and O.J. Simpson. So, I mean, I think that kind of just puts a bad taste in my mouth about her in general. But like I said, some of her work is really important to the legal world, and we're going to talk about that first. And her early work is, what's, is what is the most reliable, in my opinion, and very, very integral in our in our criminal justice system. So her early work showed that a person's exposure to misinformation and leading questions could corrupt eyewitness testimony. Now, these results were so important to the legal arena and taught legal professionals that even an eyewitness to a crime that is 100% certain of what or who they saw, that memory is not necessarily reliable. And, you know, Mistaken identifications are the leading factor in wrongful convictions here in our country, and it's just a really important point to make. But, you know, turning to her more controversial work, uh, she, she later on in, in her career, she focused on this idea that memories could be repressed and then recovered, and that specifically if hypnosis and other therapy techniques are utilized, uh, they, they could be used to plant false memories into the mind of the patient. Um, she also is of the notion that a person who has been through a trauma is more likely to be affected by the suggestions of others, such as law enforcement, media, or just conversations they've had with people. So what is basically what she's saying is that a person who's been through a trauma is more suggestible to having their memories altered or changed by outside forces. And this is like that show Buried on Showtime, the docu-series I mentioned on my other episode. It's super it's super interesting and if you find the psychology of this stuff interesting, definitely check that out. Um it's it's worth it. But so you know Many people feel that her testimony, not her testimony, her opinions and her conclusions really only serve as to discredit abuse survivors, but there are some who see it as an, imper- as an imperative thing to even the scales of justice for the defendant in these criminal cases. So, you know, you can pick what side you want on that, but, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say whether or not I think that it's 100% either way, but there's obviously therapists and other academics who strongly disagree with her and feel that memory repression is a natural survival mechanism. And even in instances that don't involve sexual abuse or something as traumatizing as that, I th- I know personally, I've had times where people have talked to me about things in my past that I am like, I literally do not remember that happening. And, it, you know, your mind as a defense mechanism oftentimes does repress memories. So, you know, think of it in your own personal experience. What do you think? But in terms of this Maxwell case, and again, she I don't know that she's the expert for Maxwell. I I just think that whoever will be, and whoever will be testifying as their expert on this false memories theory will likely have these pretty much identical theories and conclusions because she, like I said, is the leading expert. So 
I think it's important to say that if you're going to say, okay, so the victims, the victims here, you know, they're not lying, but their memories are are not accurate and they're wrong because of, you know, it's been manipulated by these outside forces, blah, blah, blah. On cross, the prosecution could say, so you said this about the victim's memories. What about, what about the defendant's memories? Can her, can her memories also be manipulated by time by outside forces? I think that's fair game. Um, and you know, this even, even more so, even more importantly, if this type of grooming behavior is established by the prosecution, it greatly cuts into the reliability of this type of memory research at its core. So what do I mean by that? That means that basically if the prosecution can show that there is a pattern of this grooming behavior through the testimony of the additional victims, how can we say that they're, all of their memories are wrong? They all have fake memories. I, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can get behind that one, guys. So, you know, I do, I, I I'm not going to say that I can't agree with the logic that the human memory is 100% accurate all the time, but I definitely can't wholly get on board with this idea that all memories are also inaccurate because you're basically saying that nothing we have a memory of is real. This is all made up. And this is just that, 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 that to me is just stupid. Um, you know, I, I'd have a lot more questions for this doctor. Like, hey, doc, when does something become a, a memory? Is it right after it happens? Is it a year later? Is it a day later? If somebody tells you what happened, if you tell somebody what happened to you right away, does that count as corroboration of, of your memory? You know, there, there's just like too many questions here for you to make a general sweeping statement that all memories are inaccurate. I have another question. Can, can another person have the same wrong memory as you, even though you told them what happened when it happened? I, I think that actually gets into a whole other theory called the Mandela effect, which is also super interesting if you're into this psych stuff. Not going to get into that here. We don't got time. Uh, but yeah, do your own research on that. And we could talk about it in another another episode if you guys want let me know but yeah so you know overall I can't get behind this theory 100% either way but I I, you know I I can say that I don't think human memory is 100% accurate but we don't need to be 100% accurate just just um you know, sometimes details are important, sometimes they're not. And this leads me into my next point, uh, specifically about the Maxwell case. Um, why do I think this is important? Let me tell you. Uh, the The indictment against Maxwell was drawn up by these federal prosecutors in a really vague way. And what does that mean? Basically, the indictment doesn't state specific dates and acts of these abuse allegations or, you know, the facilitating of abuse abuse. So when the indictment is written like this, it makes it easier for the prosecution to avoid getting their witnesses stuck in traps when on cross-examination. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you are saying on November 29th, 2020, this happened, and on cross, they're able to show that it in fact happened on, you know, November 30th, that goes to the credibility of that witness. Now, does that mean it didn't happen? Of course not. Does it matter? What if it even happened a week later and you got that date wrong? Does that mean that your story isn't true? No, of course not. But it goes to the credibility of a witness. And at trial, that is extremely important. 
So I think that this was a way to help the prosecution to help themselves avoid that happening. Um, You know, we'll see how that plays a role when it comes down to the cross-examinations of these victims. Um, Obviously, prosecutors have to overcome this hurdle of all the time that has passed, and they're going to want and definitely need corroboration to bolster the credibility of their witnesses' statements. And the defense will no doubt try to poke holes in the memories of the victims, but it does make it more difficult to do that when there are no specific dates uh, alleged in the indictment. Um, so yeah, that's basically my quick little, quick little research on, um, the false memories issue. I'm really interested to see what their expert's going to say and, you know, how they're going to, how they're going to try to use that testimony to discredit these victims. But for now, we're still in the prosecution's case. We won't hear from that expert until the defense starts their, their case, And that's not going to be for a while, guys. But, uh, you know, keep this in mind. We'll come back to it. And, yeah, so that's the end of this episode. Next, um, I'm going to do one right after this. And we're going to do the day three trial testimony. And that's going to start with, and I don't know if it'll finish with, but start with at least the continued cross-examination of the first victim who is being referred to as Jane. So that's it for now, and I'll see you guys. Well, I won't see you, but you'll hear from me soon.